Good morning. Well, as soon as Halloween hits, we enter into a season of anticipation, don't we? As Jordan was pointing out last week, it seems that as soon as, you know, the pumpkins and the skeletons are taken down in the stores, that's when the, the, the Christmas trees and the gingerbread people and all that just take their places magically. I have to say, having seen this for a long time, it doesn't bother me so much that all this stuff happens in late October. It's when it happens in August, <laughs> where we have Christmas trees next to beach balls and shiny barbecues. Um, but in a, in a consumer culture, seasonal anticipation is really, really stretched out, isn't it? Now, of course, Advent is about anticipation, but our anticipation of the overall holiday season uh, is like a multi-edged sword that, that cuts a lot of different directions. Uh, we might start off with a kind of, of fantasy about what it might be like each year. We, we look forward to the warm fuzziness of the season, of a change in the weather like we have this year, uh, fun dinners with families and friends, and uh, all the decorations and lights and all that great stuff. But then we start remembering we remember how expensive everything was last year and how in the world are we going to pay for it all this year. And what if Cousin Elrod acts up like he did at Thanksgiving dinner last time? And how could we possibly find the time to do all the church stuff as well? Anticipation and memory seem to come hand in hand. The season of Advent is marked by anticipation and memory in some very important ways. We, we rehearse the anticipation that God will do a new thing. And we also remember that this new thing is to be found in Jesus. We do not come to this season with a blank slate, as though we don't know how the story is going to unfold. In Advent, anticipation and memory come together. The prophet Isaiah, as we heard this morning, spoke to a people who very likely longed for what he was telling them that they should anticipate. And that was the, the coming of a king from the line of David, one who would judge people righteously and equitably, who would usher in a world that, that they had heard about in the scriptures at the very beginning of the text, but had never actually experienced in their own lives, a, a peaceable world that was the fulfillment of God's ultimate desires and intentions. It was the kind of anticipation that would fill the heart with longing. But the people would also remember that, that they had a big problem. They were not enjoying life in their own land. They were a people in exile. A new shoot might emerge from the stump of David's father, Jesse, but the line of David was still a stump. The tree had been felled, and the wielding of the axe by, by foreign invaders had, had come about as a consequence of Israel's unfaithfulness. But there was hope that the, the stump still had life in it. And this hope of a, of a new king and a new world was certainly a, a future hope. And if the people ever stepped into it, they would still have some of the bitter taste of sin and exile on their tongues. They would remember who they had been. They would remember where they had been. And they would also remember God's faithfulness to his people. And this new work of God would be sweeter for the memory. 
when you stop to think about it, Isaiah's words of hope must have sounded very strange, even idealistic, to a people who had been dispersed into other nations as the spoil of war. If anything, the anticipation of a new Davidic king would, would produce a kind of longing that could only be addressed one way, by waiting. There really seems to be a lot of waiting going on in the Bible. The ancient Hebrew people wait a long time as slaves in Egypt, only to be rescued so that they can wait a long time in the wilderness. The people look to hopeful words like those of Isaiah only to realize that they just have to wait because they cannot do anything to make it all happen. When Jesus arrives on the scene, people have been waiting hundreds of years for this Messiah to show up. And even the disciples between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost are only given one simple thing to do, and that is to wait. There really is a whole lot of waiting in the Bible. And waiting, of course, requires patience. And there's a fair amount of struggling with patience in the Bible. The captives in Egypt wait for God for many years, and they struggle. They struggle every day because they are slaves to the Pharaoh. We hear the psalmist crying out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Just before Jesus leaves his disciples, they ask him, Lord, is this, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? As if to say, you know, we've been waiting for like three years with you now. Isn't it about time that you just got things going, Jesus? See, waiting is difficult, and, and, and patience does not come easily. For most of us, having patience in waiting is required because we're in a situation that we cannot control and in a situation that we think needs to be changed. Depending on the circumstances, anticipation of something better that is yet to come, something that is hoped for in the future, risks missing what's happening in the moment that we're actually in. I spent uh, four years to the day in the Navy when I was a young man, and for the first two years, all I could think about was the day when I would ultimately get out. Uh, it's not good to have one of those calendars with an X one day at a time. I don't recommend it. I mean, four years ahead of you when you're 20 seems like a lifetime. But after about two years of this, Emily and I were married, and, and after about two years, we, Emily, that's my wife talking about right here, front row. She loves it when I do that. But at the two-year mark, we, we found a new church community, and uh, it was really meaningful to us. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I realized that there was something of value going on right then and there, not just in my hopeful future. The, uh, my, my waiting took on an entirely different character. The, the town we lived in had seemed to me like just a wasteland up to that point, but suddenly I noticed, oh my goodness, there's flowers and there's hills and there's wonderful beaches and really nice people, beauty all around me. Uh, I, I still longed for the day of my freedom, but that longing now had a real-time context, a, a context that had value in its own. Through the prophet Jeremiah, another important Old Testament voice. God spoke to his people who were living in exile, a people longing for God to rescue them and bring them home again. 
And through Jeremiah, God spoke to them about how they were to live in the waiting. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord in its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Even in captivity, God's people were to continue to live out their vocation as Abram's descendants, bringing blessing to all the families of the earth, even to those who were the source of Israel's exile. The people had to be reminded of this because in their longing for a future of their desire, they could miss the importance of the moment in which they lived. Now, Jesus' disciples were sometimes this way, looking forward to something they hoped for, like the restoration of Israel, uh, while the significance of God's work in and through Jesus sometimes escaped their comprehension. There's a rather startling chapter in Matthew chapter 24, filled with apocalyptic language and end of all things and the returning of Jesus and sun going dark and all of this stuff. It's, 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 like, it's like an action movie. It's amazing. But those words in Matthew 24 have, have often caused people to anticipate this coming cataclysmic future, but one in which the true faithful believers will surely be vindicated. It's caused some to stop being too concerned about what's happening in real time because they anticipate being scooped up by Jesus very soon, sometimes with a specific date on the calendar. And they wait as the earth just implodes in on itself. Uh, Now, many scholars believe that this text is more about the pending destruction of Jerusalem than it is the end of all things. But it still has caused people to anticipate something that's outside of their control. And depending on one's perspective, either experience hope or wanting to run and hide. A number of years ago, I I felt myself developing kind of a bronchial infection. I thought that's what it was. And so I decided to go see this doctor, a doctor I'd only seen one other time. And uh, I recalled as I was going there that in his waiting room, he had a lot of things on the wall, wall decorations and plaques and things that suggested he was very likely a a Christian. And uh, so I went in to see him and told him what was going on. And and after he... uh, Checked me out, he, he opened up my file, my medical file, and happened on that, you know, that biographical sheet they always make you fill out, you know, where you're just supposed to remember your entire medical history from the day you were born and all kinds of things. But it also asks where you are employed and what you do for a living. And at the time, I was still working for Fuller Seminary. And he happened to notice that, and he closed it, and he looked at me, and he said, Fuller Seminary? And I said, yes. And he said, so, when is Jesus returning? <laughs> As if that's what they teach us there. You know? now, now, this was not my first rodeo in this kind of a conversation, so I, I felt pretty sure I knew where this was going. I was getting baited into a kind of end times thing with him, and uh, I didn't really want to do it, but I recognized that he was the one in possession of all the sharp instruments and the probes <laughs> and the... Uh, medications that could have unfortunate side effects. And so I I responded, but I did so cautiously. And I said, well, 
Only the Father knows. Now, I, I figured that this righteous scriptural answer would, would uh, kill the conversation, but oh, no, no. He had more. He said, but there are signs. There are signs. And I knew I, would not, I was not going to get out of this thing easily, so I, I pressed ahead. I said, well, throughout the ages, people have always thought they had seen signs. I thought giving him a little bit of church history would show him who knows what here. And so then he launched into a diatribe about who the Antichrist was, naming, of course, his least likable politician. And uh, he knew how the end was going to come. And after a while, I realized, okay, there's like nowhere to go with this. And so I cut in, risking his displeasure. And I said, so what is it that I have? And uh, I was was a sick man. I was not up to a theological debate. And uh, it was funny. I remember he kind of snapped back into the moment, remembering that indeed he was a medical doctor. (laughs) And I was his patient, and he needed to deal with me. And uh, so he offered a diagnosis, and he wrote out a prescription. And I thanked him, and I went on my way, and I never went back again. (laughs) Yeah, living for a future of one's own interpretation risks missing the moment. But in a way, that, that doctor had a bit of a, of a point. We, there's signs we happen to see all the time, but maybe not the kind he was thinking of. The signs that Jesus spoke of in that cataclysmic, apocalyptic chapter were the signs that came in the midst of a violent world bent on the destruction of its own inhabitants. But also signs that the Lord is present in the midst of that, that the Lord will one day return. And in a similar way, we, we might say that we have signs in our time, but many of them are the signs of power, domination, signs that are very different from the sign of the cross. Jesus said that, that even in the midst of destruction, Even in the midst of all of that, that the Son of Man is near, right at the gates of the city, the city where the signs of power demand people's allegiance. And it is in his sign that the people of God find hope. It's true that there are earthly kingdoms crashing against one another all the time, but God's people are called to live in the present realities of God's kingdom. And so... We wait. But the kind of waiting to which we are called is a unique kind of waiting. Most of the time when we wait for something, our longing isn't fulfilled until the thing actually happens. But as we wait for what God will one day do in the fulfillment, in the completion of his kingdom, we don't wait in his absence. We wait in God's presence. We wait in the reality of a kingdom that has come upon us, a kingdom that is at hand. And we wait not alone in isolation. We wait as a people. Uh, This this shoot that emerges from the stump of Jesse is is a new kind of king arising from the flawed and broken line of David, but he is still Israel's King, the one who reigns over the people of God and over all the earth. This anticipated king rules over a world that is characterized and damaged by unfaithfulness, violence, and injustice, but it is a world, we are told, that will turn at his coming. 
Isaiah describes a, a scene that echoes God's call to Abram in Genesis 12, that through Abram's descendants, all the families of the earth will find blessing. And on that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. And in the meantime, the whole world waits. The whole creation waits. We wait. We wait as God's people. We wait in his presence. And we wait as ones who follow Jesus into the world that we inhabit, bringing blessing to all the families of the earth. I get that we wait today in very challenging times, locally, nationally, globally. In the waiting, we could be paralyzed by, by anxiety given the dramas of our times. And much of our anxiety, if we really think about it, is fed not necessarily by what we are experiencing on a day-to-day basis, but, but more by what our news sources and social media tell us. We are often given stories that dismay us, that frighten us, even anger us. But those are not our primary stories. They're secondary at best. We have another story in which to live, a, a story that gives shape and substance to our lives. It's the story of God's kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated in his coming, a kingdom that will one day be fulfilled, a a fulfillment for which we wait as we bring the blessing of God to those around us. It's a story of the lordship of Christ. And our waiting is expressed in a shared life as a worshiping community. But our waiting is not only informed by the past, a past that remembers brokenness and suffering, loss and difficulty, political intrigue and military action. It's also shaped by the hope of a future that God intends, a future where heaven and earth will become new, where our longing for the peaceable world of God's kingdom is fulfilled. So in the Advent season, we are reminded about the character of our waiting. We do look forward to God's intended future, but we do so in the real-time moment of God's presence where we remember that we are a people for God, a people whose shared vocation is to bring blessing to the world. You know, there there may be some here who are uh, waiting in a place of suffering or anxiety rather than in the joy that we would hope would characterize our holiday season. Others might be wrestling with vocational career challenges, uncertainties that will be faced in the coming year. For all of us, regardless of our life circumstances, we don't wait in isolation. We wait together as a worshiping community, and Jesus comes alongside us in the waiting. It is Jesus who guides us toward the future where God's kingdom will be fulfilled, and yet he is present to us in the moment. He is with us in his healing, guiding presence. And because of him, our waiting is shaped by hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father. 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.